if you are looking for a handout, you can go to our website, hbfcast.org, go to the listen page, look under the Revelation, um, uh, the Revelation t- uh, sermon series, and then you will find uh, a document you can print out. I know some of you have already done that, so praise the Lord for that, and you can have that outlined to follow along tonight. So, um, we're, <clears throat> oh, it's in the back. How did you guys do that? That's awesome. I didn't think that worked. So, uh, we're, I've, I've titled this, if you've been to this study, most of it's going to be the same, but I've changed it up a little bit. So what we need to know before we go, I've changed it to the title, uh, because, you know, we're just about out of here. So it's a great time to study Revelation and, and get our head around that. And there's some things we need to understand about the revelation of Jesus Christ so we can pre- prepare ourselves to partake in its fulfillment, right? So, uh, this is just like reading today's newspaper and tomorrow's newspaper, and uh, finding out what it is that God wants us to do. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure that we don't do is just get puffed up with a lot of knowledge, because knowledge alone is not good. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight and verse one tells us, "Knowledge puffeth up, uh, but charity edifies." Right? And so um, we want to make sure that we we are not being puffed up with knowledge. Uh, if any man think that he knoweth anything as he uh, ought to know, uh, or knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. And so the book of Revelation is one of the greatest books we can be studying as a church in that it's the last book, of course, of the New Testament, and it bookends uh, Genesis. Uh, So we don't come to the Bible with preconceived ideas. Uh, We let the Bible define itself, and we have the advantage of being able to understand many of the things that John saw in the context of our contemporary understanding, which brings the book of Revelation to life and makes it very relevant, um, more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper. And so revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John is not a book that's hard to understand. It's just a book that's hard to believe. And Martin Luther, uh, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, well, maybe Martin Luther King. I don't know. I never knew him. But Martin Luther, uh, from back in the, the Reformation, was so frustrated by his inability to comprehend what Revelation was referring to, uh, he was prepared to remove it from the canon of Scripture altogether, uh, just like a critical text guy would do, because if he's not able to be the authority, nobody is. But anyway, um, and of course, he's he's also didn't understand the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, so it makes it pretty hard if you don't have a dispensational view of the Bible to understand Revelation. So uh, I have uh, I've been saved now for 36 years. It'll be 37 on March 25th, and uh, and the prophecies that I see today are so fresh uh, that it would be unbelievable if it wasn't believable. So just within my lifetime, um, you know, I've scratched my head and I've wondered how certain prophecies could ever come to pass. I mean, when I got saved and when I got saved, prophecy was, was I mean, even before I got saved, right, in the 70s. And, you know, there's uh, I can't remember the, the corny movies that were made, but for the time they were really good. Um, Thief in the Night and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, Baptists were making movies and uh, uh, they went from banning movies to making movies. And they had Thief in the Night and all of these. And those were really effective, actually, movies and you know, I remember the guy, I got saved, so in the 80s, it really, really seemed corny because big bells were out and so were leisure vans. But uh, anyway, so the guy's shaving and, and the, you know, all of a sudden his razor falls in the sink and he's gone and all that stuff. It's like, oh, you know, so so the rapture and, and uh, people getting their heads chopped off, all that all that stuff was just, you know, when you look at it now, it was, it was kind of corny. But um, I would sit there, so I fast forward the tape, I got saved in 87. And I would sit there in 1987 and just wonder, like, like, how is it possible? Like, really? I mean, like, people are just going to, like, take a mark and buy and sell 
I mean, how's that going to happen in America? I mean, everybody will get their guns out. That's not going to happen. You know, country boy can't survive, you know. I mean, we'll skin a buck and run a trout line. I mean, that's what we'll do. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, and I and you, so I'd sit there and kind of imagine, like, how can this be? You know, with my basic Bible, you know, thimble full of Bible knowledge that I had or less. And uh, just think, how could this be? You know, and how could it? And now, of course, <laughs> you know, it's so obvious how things are, are going. It's easy to see. Uh, how dependent we are, and how easily, uh, like sheep, we, everyone will just follow along. So uh, it's it's amazing to see how technology and and geopolitical activity, right? All these things that are going on, you know, it, it is unique. It's a very unique time in history, and so uh, it is is amazing. Uh, and now to see just how overtly antichrist, you know, a lot of the principalities and powers are. Uh, and wicked, you know, spiritual wickedness in high places means something new to us in 2024 than it did in 1987. Like, yeah, we get it. Principalities and power, spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, now it's like, whoa. I mean, we really are talking about satanic worship in high places. This is getting getting pretty obvious, you know. So, um, so there's a lot going on. It's a great time to read the book of Revelation also to keep you bound to the word of God. So you don't get off on some tangent because there's so many tangents that we can get off and go wrong. It's important that we stay focused on what the Word of God says and don't take sidetracks that uh, that mess us up. So the Bible, uh, the first thing I want to establish here is the Bible is a book of history. Um, and if you don't believe that, um, you're not going to be very successful in understanding anything in the Bible, uh, frankly. And there's no reason not to believe it's history. I just saw today, I just was looking at a post. This isn't new, uh, but there's a, there's a big pillar down uh, in Arabia that they believe Solomon put up it's got hebrew scripture on it and and commemorates the exodus of israel (laughs) i mean and uh and the post it's just sitting out there in the arabian desert by itself um and i forget the man's name uh who found it um he was an american um, you know archaeologist fellow christian guy here in the states and uh somebody had a cap cap uh had a uh a caption under it saying basically that you know if people really understood the value of this it'd be one of the most treasured pieces of of, uh, antiquity in the world and it's still just sitting out in the desert nobody gives it you know bedouins going by it's just this pillar sitting there you know and uh, it's amazing uh it's just amazing the bible is a book of history and uh just continuously continue to to find that it's it's accurate in history and it's his story it's 100 percent accurate in its prophetic application to the future as well because god's the one who's writing history right it's his story so you we cannot study the book of revelation without also studying Genesis and Daniel and Zechariah, minor prophets, the Gospels, right? The whole counsel of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. So much of what we see in Revelation completes and closes the door uh, of time on things we see in the book of Genesis. So let me give you a little uh, thing. I think you have this in your notes as well if you got a handout. Um, so when we get to Revelation 4.3, it says there in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, and he that sat was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in this uh, in sight like unto an emerald. And you see, when we get, we'll talk about that more when we get there. But we, you know, there's a there's a judgment that's uh, you know coming, and there's also a judgment that is uh, already come in, in in Genesis, right? There's half a rainbow, right? And uh, today when we look at the rainbow, it's it's and it's 180 instead of 360 degrees. So God says, I'm not going to judge the earth again with a flood. 
of water. Um, but we know that what's coming is a flood of fire. So you got the flood, half of it, half of the judgment's done. There's still another half to go, a baptism of fire. Uh, and many today, ironically, who would stick a thumb in God's, or poke God in the eye, right, and thumb their nose at God's word, don't actually, and use the rainbow in itself to justify, you know, that judgment, we're not being judged, or many of those will be judged, and it'll be by fire, sadly. All right, a lot of things in your Bible, and you don't know that until you get to Revelation, right? You don't really see how it ends until you get to the end. And so the thing is, is that you need to have the whole counsel of God's word. And you need Revelation to close up what it opens in Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And Revelation isn't the book of the end, by the way. It's just the book that closes up uh, the, the canon of Scripture and then takes us into eternity future. So it's the end of the Bible as far as what's written. But it also sets us up for eternity and what's to come. And so what it is, is it records the record of human history uh, as we know it in, in the, as it's divided up in time is all given to us from Genesis to Revelation. So here's some examples of things opened up in Genesis and closed in Revelation. You can see them on your screen or on the on the screen here. Heaven and earth uh, are renovated in Genesis, right? Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Uh, and you put Adam in there. And then, of course, in Genesis chapter 6, uh, it floods. We'll get to that in a minute. But heavens and the earth are renovated again in Revelation when you get to the end. Uh, so there's new heavens and new earth, or new heaven, new earth. Uh, there's the first attack against man in Genesis, last attack against man in Revelation. Uh, in Genesis 1.18, you see the sun rules the day. Uh, in Revelation 21, there's no need to the sun because Jesus Christ is ruling. And the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Genesis 1, night and day are divided. Uh, in Revelation 21, there's no night. In Genesis 1.10, the seas are created. In Revelation 2, 1, or 21, there's no more seas. Uh, in Genesis 2.10, the river goes out of the garden. In Revelation 2, 1 and 2, the river uh, flows out. <clears throat> the river, uh, river should not say out of life. The river of life uh, flows out from the throne. In Genesis 3, there's a curse of man and nature. Uh, in Revelation 22, that curse is lifted. There is no curse in Revelation uh, 21 or 22. River. i got to correct this here. All right, and then uh, Genesis 3:24, a tree of life is removed. Revelation 22, the tree of life is restored. So you see the tree of life show back up in Revelation. Haven't seen it since Genesis 3:24. Uh, Genesis 10, Nimrod establishes Babel and uh, associated idolatry in the Antichrist religious system. Of course, you know God confounds the language. In Revelation 17, both the Antichrist and Mystery Babylon religion are destroyed, and so and already right. So the languages were scrambled in uh, Genesis uh, 11, and now they're coming back together through technology so people can communicate again, getting ready for the Antichrist kingdom. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are married in the garden. Revelation 19, Jesus marries the bride of Christ, and, and uh, we go on forward in the millennial reign. Uh, and Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy of Satan's defeat, where Revelation 20 record is a record of Satan's defeat. Uh, and so Revelation 3.15 opens up, and God says, hey, I'm going to I'm going to bruise you. I'm going to you're going to bruise my heel. I'm going to squash your head basically in Revel, in Genesis 3:15. But how's that going to work? Well, the the Bible is is uh, full of progressive revelation, right? So things begin to progress as you go through the Bible. That's why revelation is so important because it's really the theme is about a king and a kingdom. And uh, you, you don't really see all that just in the first few pages of Genesis. You see Adam, you see God working through humanity. 
But then as God progressively reveals what he's doing uh, to bring forth the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, he chooses a seed, right? He chooses Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He ends up choosing a, 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 a tribes of people, which become a nation of people, which become a throne, which becomes a king, which becomes King David, right? And he just progressively reveals uh, where this is going. And uh, and so it's 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 amazing how your Bible goes together. That's why you see it in Genesis, but you got to see how it closes up in Revelation, because um, uh, Satan gets defeated, of course, and Jesus accomplishes exactly what he said he would in Genesis three fifteen. Genesis records the first rebellion. Uh, with drunken murders uh, in Revelation 21, there's no more uncleanness. Everything is new. Genesis 3, the sorrow of sin is introduced. Revelation 21, the sorrow of sin is wiped away. Aren't you looking forward to that? So we were just talking before you about how scary Revelation is. It's only scary if you don't read to the end. But if you read to the end, it really it's really a blessing. It's re- it's something to rejoice in. The story ends well, by the way. Uh, it only ends bad if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, that's when it's not good. Uh, and so Genesis 3 um, or Genesis 4 is the first physical death. Um, and Je- in Revelation 21, 4, there is no more death. And so uh, that's that's some of the parallels there uh, that I gave you in a chart. And there's more than that. That's just some of them. We could find more. We could probably, I don't know, we could probably more than double this list that I just gave you. But the book of Revelation is the perfect book to complete the Bible because it takes us back to the beginning, and so tonight uh, we're in a, we are we move into our text in Revelation. I want to take a few moments in light of what we've seen from Genesis to re, to remind you of some fundamentals that will help us place the Book of Revelation in context of the whole of Scripture. So, uh, first, the theme of the Bible, as I've already mentioned, is the King and, and the Kingdom. Um, and so, before the creation of Adam and Eve, Satan fell. Because he's, he was rebelling against God. And we know that from Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. We're not going to look that up right now. We'll get into plenty of that as we go. But we know that Adam was part of God's solution to Satan's problem. God created Adam and Eve, uh, a couple in the image and the likeness of God, with the capacity to love God, keep his commandments. And, uh, of course, they didn't do that. But Adam was a threat to Satan because Satan has wanted to rule and reign since his pride exalted him to challenge God's authority. So Satan uh, attacked Adam because it was a way to attack God. It was a way to gain ground in the battle between light and dark. And the day and night and, uh, is, is what it was about. In Luke 3.38, we see that Adam was the son of God, and, he was exa- and that's exactly why Satan targeted Adam. He was placed in a position of dominion that Satan desired, and ultimately um, he is, uh, was captured uh, from sinful man. And that's not only the influence. Uh, that's not only the, to influence heaven, uh, but to, to rule on the earth as well. And that's why, really, earth becomes ground zero for this war, uh, because it's the inheritance uh, that Adam's seed will get. Now we are the seed of Christ, because we are sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has uh, bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. So we shouldn't be so surprised as though some strange thing happened to us, right? First Peter four twelve, when Satan attacks us. After all, we are the sons of God, according to 1 John 3, 1 through 3, and that's why it's necessary for us to be born again. So uh, we are born in Adam's sinful image, and it's when we receive Christ as Savior that we uh, now take on the image of Jesus Christ. Literally, literally, we learn in Romans that Jesus Christ is the express image of God. So when we call upon the name of the Lord and we are saved, his seed dwells in us. Literally, Christ comes in us, the hope of glory, the Spirit of God, 
the Holy Ghost, and we are a new creature in Christ, and God is dwelling in us, very literally. So Colossians 1.15, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Hebrews 1.3, all verify that. So when the Scripture speaks to us being changed in an instant, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 51 through 52, it's referring to being changed into the image of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.8, it makes you and I exceedingly important uh, in the kingdom of God, in the spiritual kingdom context. Once we are removed, Satan will give his best effort to overthrow the kingdom of heaven because he's not going to get the kingdom of God. So this is important as we understand Satan's end will ultimately come through a battle for the kingdom. Much of the book of Revelation reveals the final gasp of error for Satan and the angels who followed him in his rebellion before Adam and Eve were ever created. So just as our souls are sealed and we see our end in the scripture, Satan's fate is sealed and Revelation helps us see how God's word concerning Satan is going to come to pass. So Isaiah chapter 15, I, got, I think, or 14, I think I put that in your notes. And verse 15 says this, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? It's, it's worth noting here that Satan's end will be as a man. We initially see him as Lucifer, the anointed cherub, but as he attempts to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation, Satan will fail and forever be damned as a man like a worm in Mark 9, 44 through 48, as it speaks to his, uh, all of those that go cast in the lake of fire will be like a worm, and the worm will die not. And so that's quoting also from the book of Isaiah. So Jesus was wrapped up in grave clothes in death, but overcame death and transcended through those grave clothes, right? So he was all bound up like a worm himself as he was put in the tomb. But he was able to overcome that, and uh, and he is no longer, and nothing has bound him. So he was not bound in death, as Satan will be, like a worm that dies not. But he will end up, Satan will end up being cast down and never return to his former glory. Conversely, Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. So for us, it's done. I mean, really, when it said it's finished, it was finished. So in Genesis 3.13, we see a mighty prophecy concerning the seed of woman and the fate of Satan. And it indeed it's, uh, it is indeed a passage that that comes to pass, and we'll continue to see uh, we will continue to see fulfillment until Satan is literally squirming like a worm or a serpent in the lake of fire. In Genesis three thirteen, the Bible says, "And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done?" And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat." And the Lord God said unto the uh, serpent, "Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above the cattle and above every beast of the field." Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right? He's bigger than a worm. He's a serpent. But he still has no arms and legs, right? And so God is even, even by what he calls him, that, that serpent, the devil, he's prophesying what's going to happen to this boy. He's going to be bound, and he's going to be cast in a lake of fire. So this very... This is very relevant to Revelation, for you see, from Genesis to Revelation, we're seeing a struggle. That's what your Bible's about, is a struggle between light and dark, good and evil, God and Satan. And it's about a king and a kingdom. And in the book of Revelation, it caps it off with very explicit prophecies of Satan's ultimate demise. And it's not an accident that God is the one who mentions the seed of a woman. But what is forecast in Genesis is clearly revealed in Revelation of Je- in the revelation of Jesus Christ to the apostle John. So you don't want to miss the relevance of Revelation as it pertains to Christ fulfilling his prophecies in the Old and New Testaments concerning Christ's kingdom. There are more titles in Revelation for Jesus Christ than any other book in the New Testament because it is about Jesus Christ being the king. And that's what I have on the list up there you've been looking at. Jesus Christ, 
obviously, is what the book's about in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's his, obviously his earth name, uh, his earthly name, uh, Jesus, uh, and then Christ, the Messiah. And then the faithful witness he's called in verse 5. He's the first begotten of the dead. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the Alpha and the Omega. All of this in the first chapter. He's the first and the last. He's the Son of Man, which we'll get to that as well. Uh, you might have guessed there's seven titles listed in chapter 1 for the Lord, right? The perfect number. And then there's the Son of God in chapter 2. He's the keeper of David's keys in chapter 3. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David in chapter 5. He's the slain lamb in Revelation 5, 6. The angry lamb in chapter 6. The tender lamb in chapter 7. He's our Lord in chapter 7. He's, he's the man-child in Revelation 12. He's the king of saints in Revelation 15. He's the faithful and true uh, in Revelation 19:11, he's the Word of God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And of course, Revelation 22:13, he is the beginning and the end. And so he is the bright and morning star. And this is the revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. And is there a time in this earth right now when you need to get an idea of that? It is now. I'm in the Psalms in my daily reading. I was just reading through the Psalms this morning and and looking at, at the meekness of God, but also the judgment. It's promised. It's coming. The fool has said in his heart, uh, there is no God. But man, there is a God. And he is large and in charge. And it may seem like he's not listening, but he's listening. He knows what's going on. Uh, not only with the lost, but also with the saved. And so we need to be ready, because he's coming soon. And so this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that we're talking about. This book, Revelation, reveals who Jesus Christ is and J. Vernon McGee called Revelation the terminal where all the prophecies from all the places in the Scripture meet. This is an accurate illustration as Revelation has more Old Testament quotations and allusions than any other New Testament book. And, it, and by the way, the bulk of your New Testament is just filled with Old Testament references. But there's more in Revelation than any other book. And so, um, and so it's an amazing thing. Not only does it document the victorious struggle of Christ over Satan, it also reveals how God is going to fulfill prophecy concerning israel so there's been prophecies related to christ that have been paused for nearly two thousand years due to israel's rejection of their messiah and disobedience to our lord's command so revelation is a relate as it relates to israel let's talk about that for just a moment because <clears throat> this is important the only way to miss that revelation is, un- is the only way to miss the revelation is the unsealed revelation of daniel's 70th week is to be educated beyond your intelligence uh, which happens quite frequently. Uh, as, by the way, if you look up Revelation online, a lot of what you're going to see are the four views, not the, not the same four views that I'm going to give you tonight, the four views of Revelation. And not a one of them is, uh, well, one of them is actually biblical, but ba- most of it is just confusing. Basically people saying, we don't know what this book means. Um, and so, you know, that's because oftentimes people don't understand the Bible as a whole. And, and then if they do, they don't believe it. Revelation clearly, clearly reveals how God is going to restore his kingdom to earth and administrate the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the children of Israel under the law. Right. So the Old Testament is being, as obviously Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, and we're in this age of grace. But there's still promises given to Israel that must be fulfilled, and those prophecies are even mentioned in, Revel, in the book of Romans 9 through 11 that God is not done with Israel. And God has, has things that he's going to fulfill to the nation of Israel. There's an inheritance that they will get. They've been granted a physical inheritance, and it's in, it's in viewing the book of Revelation that we can clearly see how this will ultimately be fulfilled. So now you, when you watch the news and you watch 
uh, Hamas and, and uh, Hezbollah, you know, attack Israel, and you see the world lining up against Israel, including people in America, like a bunch of fools. Um, hey, and again, that's no, that's no comment on the morality. A lot of lost Jews, right? So it doesn't mean they're moral people. It doesn't mean they're good people, even some of them. But at the end of the day, they're God's chosen people. And uh, God blesses those that bless them. And he curses those that curse them. So you certainly don't want to curse them, right? You might want to hang on to your wallet and keep a few nukes in your pocket. But at the end of the day, you still need to bless God's people. And so, uh, because it's foolish not to. So Daniel's 70th week, Revelation chapter, or Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Without getting too far into it, we really, when you wonder what is going on in Revelation, well, we're seeing the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week. And, and just to be quickly, this is what it's going to look like. Uh, we understand um, we understand weeks in the Old Testament context is years. So we see this used in Genesis 29, 27 through 28, when Jacob served Laban a week, right, which was seven years for each daughter. One, one week for Leah, one week for Rachel. That was a week of years, seven years. So this isn't like crazy um, undefined stuff in the Bible. This is defined in Genesis, which is, defines most of your major doctrines, by the way, are defined in, in Genesis. Probably say all your major doctrines are defined in Genesis through the Bible. All right, so uh, let's go back to Daniel 9 because I, I, I don't have this. You're going to have to go back to Daniel 9, old school, and look at the text with me. If you have a Bible, if you're at home, you're going to have to open up your Bible or your app, turn to Daniel or flip to Daniel or finger whatever, select Daniel chapter 9. And then let, let's look here real quick at verses 24 through 27. Daniel 9:24 The Bible says <clears throat> 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Okay, let's just pause right there. So you got 70 weeks, if those are 7 year cycles, it's 70 times 7, which is 490 years. All right? So 70 and now and be look at what it says very clearly. <clears throat> because for those of you out there, uh, you Calvinists that want to take the uh, or your Reformed people that want to take the promises of Israel. This is dealing with the promises given to Israel, not to the church. Uh, verse, it says, uh, At the beginning of, the, of thy supplications, uh, the command came forth, and I, I come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, and this is Daniel praying about, his cho- about God's chosen people, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. Holy city, what city is that? That's right, Jerusalem. Uh, right now it's spiritual Sodom and Egypt, but it's a holy city. It's, God's, it's the place where God was crucified. So to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for the iniquity or for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So the anointing of the most holy is at the culmination of this 490 weeks. So no... Therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem under the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the walls even in troublous times. <clears throat> and, uh, it's, and it goes on saying, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, shall cut, of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of war. Desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. All right, one week is seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, 
and for an overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consumption until the consumption I'm sorry and that and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate now that does get a little bit wordy and tongue twisty but what we're talking about here as I said is there's 700 there's 490 weeks or 490 years in those in that first 70 weeks and uh, when you look at that I'll give you the math I don't know did I put this in your notes Okay, so you take that home with you and look it over. And by the way, many years ago when I was in my devotional readings, I I was just coming through Daniel chapter 9, and I started putting all these numbers together. And if you try to do this with a 365-day calendar, you will think you just went to a cult class because you're going to say, this doesn't line up like I did. I'm like, what is wrong? Who was right? And praise God, God gave me the answers and and showed me that these um, years and weeks, when you look at this, you have to do it from a Hebrew perspective. You can't do it from a Gentile Gregorian calendar. We we work off a lunar, or I mean, we work off a a, a solar calendar off the sun, and the Hebrews work off a lunar calendar, and they went off a 360-day year. So when you start calculating it in 360 days at a year, it totally it brings brings everything right up on time where it's supposed to be. So it right to the day. I mean, it's amazing. It's actually just incredible. So it's very accurate. These prophecies are right on time. <clears throat> and so uh, 70 weeks are divided into, into uh, seven weeks, which is 49 years. Uh, and then there's 62 weeks, which is 434 years and one week. All right. So what is that? Seven plus 62 plus one equals 70. Uh, 49 plus 434 plus seven equals 490. So if you use a solar calendar, as I've already mentioned, which I think I put all that, I just said all that stuff I was going to say. Um, <clears throat> if you use a solar calendar, you're going to end up way off uh, on the birth of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, if you use that 360-day that, uh, year calendar, you'll end up just right. So the 70 weeks begin from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem, and that's Daniel 9.25. And they run until the death of Christ in Daniel 9.26 uh, before there is a break. So Daniel's 70th week, uh, uh, separate from the 69 weeks, and is set in the future tribulation period. So that prophecy is working you to the death of Christ. And then there's one week set apart. That's what we call Daniel's 70th week. And so Daniel's 70th week is separate from the other 69 weeks and set apart in the future. All right? So um, let me get down here to this. So, so to get the math to work out properly with 483 you have to place the decree to build the temple in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, when Artaxerxes sent Nehemiah back to rebuild the walls of, uh, of the temple. <clears throat> the, what understandably adds confusion is the decree to return to Jerusalem happened several times before Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. It happened in 445 B.C. It happened in 536 B.C. under Cyrus, who sent the Jews back to rebuild the temple in Ezra. I don't know if I put, yeah, in Ezra 1 through 4. It happened in 519 B.C. after Israel stopped the work of Darius, uh, put forth another decree to rebuild the temple in Ezra 4, 17 through 24. And in 458 B.C., Artaxerxes sent Ezra to Jerusalem to organize the priesthood and reestablish daily sacrifices. And that leads you to Ezra 7, 11 through 26. And then lastly, you get to 445 B.C. where Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah to build the walls of Jerusalem uh, in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. So... What that looks like on a chart here, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, is a broad outline of the prophetic timetable 
So Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 9 is around 539 B.C., but the prophetic years of 69 weeks leads you from uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2, 5, all the way up to Palm Sunday when Christ is cut off in Revelation 9, 26. And, of course, he dies and, and resurrects, and uh, that's where the prophecy stops. The next thing we see is the 70th week, which is what you see at the end of that chart. And so when you hear me talk about Daniel's 70th week, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the last, that's, that one, it's one week, but it's seven years. And uh, the Bible is very clear as we get into the study. You'll see that it's also divided up into months, divided up into days. So God, the Holy Ghost, makes sure you don't miss this. I mean, uh, and a lot of it deals with the last three and a half years. Uh, but the, the whole week comes out of Daniel, and it's yet to be fulfilled. So um, just as, as at the first coming of Christ, the Jews were lo- uh, longing for the kingdom. So today they wait for their kingdom. The only problem is they miss their king. You know, so you got, you know, I just saw a recording the other day of, of uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, I don't know if you know this guy, but he's a he's a Jewish uh, pretty, oh, he's not orthodox, but he's a pretty conservative Jewish uh, talk show guy. And uh, I don't mean conservative in, in political. He is, well, he is politically conservative, but he's he's religiously conservative is what I'm saying. Uh, so he he's identifies as a Jew openly, wears his little yarmulke. You know, he's he's serious about uh, his faith. I'll just put it that way. But he's totally missing Jesus completely. And so uh, I don't rec- – I'm trying to remember who sat with him just recently. I saw a video, uh, and they just set forth uh, – it was an apologist of some sort, and he sets forth very clearly um, – oh, about the resurrection. Uh, did you see that? Yeah, so this this fellow with just empirical evidence, he doesn't even have to use the Bible. He just uses like logic and Hebrew uh, and in history and says, look, you really can't deny that Jesus is who he said he was. And he gets to the point where, I mean, all Ben can do is say, well, uh, that's not of interest to me, right? I mean, because what's he going to say? I, I accept Jesus as, a, you know, the Messiah. He's not going to do that. So, so I mean, even to this day, the, the Jews are blinded in part. And so that's and that's in essence why um, we're getting we're going to the, the the coming 70 year uh, week is coming because God is going to bring revival. We have not effectively won under Christ and uh, we need to win under Christ. And, of course, also the tribulation uh, coming, the, the beginning of sorrows and uh, the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week will soften some of their hearts and others will will just go ahead and get what they want which is uh, to be stony-hearted and, and be judged unrighteous for all of eternity. But um, throw the love of God out the window when you get to Revelation chapter 5. So the only problem, with not just that they missed their king, they, they not only missed him, but along with, with uh, our sin, they slew and rejected their king. Now, obviously, from a Christian perspective, we understand Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We are all responsible for Jesus' death. We've owned up to that. We've confessed it and forsaken it, and God's given us mercy when we called upon his name to save us. However, uh, they haven't yet, and and so this is the very reason the book of Revelation from chapter 5 through 20 is dealing with God's just wrath. So throw the love of God out the window when you get to Revelation chapter 5. I mean, it's just you're just not going to see it on this earth. So for we see no holds barred bloodbath. And as a result uh, of God's righteousness, righteous anger being poured out on Israel and the earth uh, because of the hardness of men's hearts and the unwillingness to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, that part is scary, I will say. That's how I got saved, reading some of that and going, wow, God's not playing here. He's serious. 
Um, and uh, it, it made me repent. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that. So Paul addressed this in Romans 11. He makes it clear that the blindness in part is happening unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. So God has put Israel on hold as he's gone forth in establishing the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, so that in due time, uh, with the last Gentile who prays to receive Christ, the church will be filled up and be taken out of the way because we failed to fully accomplish the mission of God. And it will be then when God removes the church in accordance with with 1 Corinthians 15, and First Thessalonians chapter 4, even though it is the blessed hope, of course, that for us that are saved, um, uh, it's going to be a tough time of the judgment seat of Christ for many. So, uh, and so, <clears throat> and that's different from the great white throne judgment. But at any rate, I digress. So, um, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, God uh, <clears throat> talks about the catching away of the church. Uh, and then he's going he's gonna to reveal, after that happens, he's going to reveal the man of sin uh, and allow Israel, along with the Gentile nations of the earth, to have their fleeing with the Antichrist, allowing them to believe <clears throat> a strong delusion that he is God. This is a season. Uh, this season is exactly what Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 when he speaks of what we call Daniel's 70th week. And so if you don't understand this part of what the prophecy is in Daniel 9, you can't really fully grasp what's going on in Revelation. Sadly, many have <coughs> missed the point, and uh, you have to go uh, when you got to go to work tomorrow, uh, and you listen to some of these guys on the radio or you get on the internet. They're going to be completely befuddled. I mean, even some good preachers that are out there that are caught up in bad theology. Uh, they're they're way off on all this stuff. I, I watched. Uh, oh, he's a Reformed Calvinist Baptist guy, Bodie Bachman. He's got a. He's in. Uh, Zambia works in Zambia and Lusaka, Zambia, Africa. Respect the guy. He's got a lot of good things to say about a lot of different stuff. He's he does not where we are on a lot of things, but um, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, he'll preach the gospel. But man, his end times is so preterist and messed up. He doesn't even know where. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all because he doesn't really understand how to rightly divide the word. As smart as he is, and as good a preacher as he can be, uh, he's missing some of this stuff. So you got to be careful. You've got to rightly divide the Word of God, uh, or, or some Bible college or some preterist is going to take it away from you in a hurry. So the entire, uh, they're going to tell you this, that the entire book is fiction. That's one of the ways that people look at it. It's just fiction. This is a view that agnostics take, and even many in the Roman Catholic Church, um, that uh, it should just be removed from the canon of Scripture. So they agree with Martin Luther. You just take it out. There's also the view that it's it's an allegory. So um, that was a convenient view for the Roman Catholic Church to take, to seize control <coughs> of the people and the property of God and, and uh, in the process murder millions of Bible believers in the process. That's why when <coughs> we read the prophecies of the Ten Toes in Daniel, uh, the Roman Empire was involved in dominating the world during the first and second coming of Christ. Now this is before there was a Roman Catholic Church. But then after the third, uh, third century, oh, by the way, if you are Roman Catholic, there was no Roman Catholic Church until the third century. So going into the fourth century almost. So, uh, by the way, no matter what they tell you on the Vatican website, that's not accurate history. But anyway, that's why when you read the, the prophecies of the Ten Toes in Daniel, that the Roman Empire was involved in dominating the world during the first and second coming 
or uh, the first and second coming of Christ, it's no longer politically correct to discuss the biblical reality in the ecumenical Christian culture. But it's still true nonetheless. Rome, and not just Rome, uh, the, the nation of, I mean, the nation of Italy is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Rome, uh, the city-state Rome, is it still going to have an influence and still does have a large influence, uh, larger than anybody wants to believe. You know, we want, you want to watch what Elon Musk is doing and you want to watch what, you know, all these pedophiles are doing in Washington or whatever, which, okay, keep an eye on all that. But at the end of the day, you really need to keep your eye on Rome. That's where the, that's where the action's at. And that's that's I was just watching I just watched a documentary a few months ago or a few weeks ago I don't remember, but there's a, back in the 70s a, a, a politician up here in um, in Omaha Nebraska uh, he he <clears throat> he was trying to uncover a lot of the same stuff that you see today with uh, this whole uh, who's that fellow that Jewish guy that Epstein the whole Epstein thing that's going on big in the media so that's old. It, back in the 70s, that was going on up here in, in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, it's just a good old American politician dude. You know, served in Vietnam and, and you know loved his country, and you know he gets all caught up in all this and uh, is an attorney, and he takes on a case, and it seems so crazy it can't be true. Well, guess what? The more he digs into it, it's true. So they're going up here to this Roman Catholic voice uh, home, and uh, and all kinds of terrible things I won't mention are going on, and. Same stuff that all you got. All I got to do is say same thing going on on Epstein Island was going on up in Omaha and and Washington D.C. And so this guy gets he gets fired up about it and he creates a, a documentary with the Discovery Channel and wouldn't you know it gets pulled off the air just like hours before it was supposed to go on. And wouldn't you know uh, one of the big politicians that was involved in it I think he may have went to jail. But you know what never happened? Nobody ever touched Rome. No one ever touched Rome. You know. And so they always, they always, it looks like they'll get away with it, but they won't. They won't. God knows. And so uh, I, could, I could tell you more stories, right? It's like back when I was first saved, I was watching, the, I'm dating myself, but there was a president, some of you guys may have heard of him, his name was George Bush Sr. And he sent troops down to Panama. To, on a, on a, they were, he was fighting a war on drugs, supposedly. Of course, even this, now that we know the CIA was probably the one leading it, but whatever. And so, uh, so he sends he sends troops down to Panama, you know, and flexes our muscles and chase Manuel Noriega. I mean, he's running for his life, and and uh, all the, all he had to do though was run to Rome. He gets to a Catholic church, and man, shh, the tanks stop. You know, and I saw that I wasn't even I was still a baby Christian. I'm watching that. And I'm like, man, if that was like a Baptist church down there or some charismatic church. They, and he ran in there and said, oh, stop. You know what? You know what those tanks would have done? They'd have rolled right over them. Right. They would not have stopped for nothing. Manuel Noriega knew right where to go. And by the way, that guy ended up getting saved uh, in prison in uh, Florida. The ch- uh, prison chaplain led him to Christ. So praise the Lord. God used that in his life to get him saved. Uh, but if he wanted to negotiate for his life, he went to Rome because they had that kind of power in the 80s. Uh, and I'm sure they still do today. But anyway, moving on. I, I digress. Um, <clears throat> Rome's around is all I'm saying. And uh, and uh, just like the, just like she's been around since the, the, you know, mystery Babylon religion's been around since before Rome existed. So, um, okay, so... It's no longer politically correct to discuss that biblical reality, but it's it's true nonetheless. So the book of Revelation is historical. Um, 
I mean, I'm not ready for that yet. So it's historical, uh, and it deals with past history. Those who believe that it has already been fulfilled, at least in part, uh, that's called preterist view. This comes from the Latin word uh, past. They would say that Revelation 5 through 11 is said to be the victory over Judaism. In chapters 12 through 19, it, uh, or her victory over pagan Rome, uh, that'd be our reformed friends. And 20 through 22 are her glory because of these victories. So basically, they become all millennial in that sense. So these believe the entire book was fulfilled by the time of Constantine, uh, of course, and that <clears throat> that'd be a nice segue to the advent of the Holy Roman Empire and play nicely in the hands of the Antichrist in the future, just as it has in the past. And so there are various shades of that what's called preterist position. That's not obviously biblical nor anything that we would give credit to. Uh, that is, by the way, when I mentioned Bodie Bachman, that is actually what he was uh, adhering to, uh, sadly, for him. Uh, there's also continuous history. So there's others who believe that Revelation is ongoing view of history in the same manner as the preterists, but they believe it records the whole of the church history and documents the victory of the reformers over the pagan Romans. So this is probably a little bit more like Bodie Bachman, um, over the pagan Roman church. Uh, so most of the reformers of the past, who, who by the way, were good men, uh, held this view. However, it has been a, a, it has a, it's had a popular comeback in recent days with the influence of Reform Baptist, of all people. And so I believe this view is also a very dangerous uh, perspective, as Antichrist will certainly make peace with those who hold this view in the coming tribulation. And it's, it's my belief that the ecumenical spirit of Antichrist that was kicked off in New Orleans in 1988, <clears throat> uh, the year after my salvation, will lure many uh, who would otherwise be Bible believers into this marriage with Rome, <clears throat> even before the rapture of the church, leaving those who don't hold hands with them uh, being viewed as narrow, unenlightened, you know, problematic. Um, and so uh, that would probably be how we would be labeled. So uh, there's that, the book of Revelation uh, from past history, continuous history, and then there's prophetic, and that is the clear teaching of Revelation in context. It's clear that Revelation, that uh, Revelation 4 on are future events, and the first three chapters are written to see, uh, to, uh, see his, to uh, seven historical churches, but the other, other than that, the rest are full of future prophecy. And we will see that uh, this is the case as we move forward even tonight. The Bible in context will define itself. So a preacher once said that when the, the, <clears throat> the Bible in plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. So all these views will, in one way or another, contribute to the very fulfillment of the prophecies of the book of Revelation. So ironically, once you actually believe the Bible, it's impossible to miss the obvious fulfillment of these prophecies in a literal way, just as we uh, have been preceded or predicted as it's been predicted in Scripture. So it is when we fail to rightly divide the Word of God that we miss the message of Revelation, which should not be mysterious but plainly set forth, that we uh, may live lives that honor and glorify God before he comes for his church, which is actually getting us back around to the purpose of our study. Okay, so I said all of that. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Let's look at the first seven verses tonight, and, uh, and we still got some good time to, to dig into this. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 and uh, and just see what it says. So let's take our time as we look at this. Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, comma, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. 
And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from uh, him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is uh, the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he says in verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so... Amen. And then we'll get it next week. We'll get into I am the Alpha and Omega. But for tonight, I just want to pause right there and, and just take on this introductory comment uh, to John. So in your notes here, <clears throat> let me catch you up here where we are. Um, this is where we are in history, getting ready for the catching way of the church. Um, I don't think I put that. I don't, I don't have that in our notes, so. Anyway, moving on past that, let's talk about okay, I gotta back up. I don't think I gave you these notes the revel do you got the the point a the revelation of Jesus Christ? okay, okay, so that's where we're at. So the point of this book is to reveal Christ, right to reveal Christ is is uh, to those who well serve him. So what it says very clearly, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now, we're his sons, but we know from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1 that when we're a child, we differ nothing from a servant, that we be Lord of all, right? So, but we're still sons. So this book, uh, uh, this book <clears throat> is not for knowledge only. If you don't serve the Lord, um, you're really not going to be able to use the information that's in it. Right, so a servant is somebody who is actively engaging uh, in following Christ, like a disciple. Right, and so remember First Corinthians eight one: knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. To reveal Christ to John, the apostle John is portrayed for us as the disciple Jesus loved. He is the one who uh, entrusted who entrusted with Jesus, who Jesus entrusted his mother with at the cross, and he was the uh, only one who faithfully followed Christ to the cross. So John is what is John? Well, John is faithful. He's faithful. And John saw Jesus as God. John is a man who can be trusted with the word of God. He's a faithful servant. Well done now, good and faithful servant. So God can trust uh, him with his word. Can he trust us with his word? Right. A lot of this, uh, this understanding that we have about the revelation comes with being faithful with the whole counsel of God's word, the whole counsel of, of God's word. And not just like intellectually, but actually investing our lives in the Word of God. That's who God needs to reveal these things to. Uh, So when was the book written? Well, it was written in 91 to 96 A.D. Um, Henry Halley, which is Halley's Bible commentary, says, John was in prison in Patmos in 95 A.D. 
uh, where he received the revelation. He believes the epistle was written after his release in 96 AD in Ephesus, uh, after uh, Titus uh, defiled Jerusalem. Uh, he was not writing about current events, which is important. He was taken to the future to view what was going on. So this was long after Israel uh, was destroyed when it was written. So it wasn't written in 780. It wasn't John looking at uh, Titus coming in and destroying. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, Titus is, is come and gone by the time this is written. Uh, and Israel's already been uh, in, taken into you know dispersion by this point, by the time this was written. So it has to be future events. Uh, he was taken into the future uh, to view what was going on. In Revelation 1 and verse 10, uh, it literally says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So being a Spirit on the Lord's day doesn't mean it was on Sunday. Uh, the Lord's day is the day of the Lord, which is really what the book's about. It's king on the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. John was transported to the future, and that's important because the viewpoint in which he lays out the book is from that vantage point, the day of the Lord. And I'll talk about that in a moment with the keys as well. And so in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. So he saw that which was and is to come. The Roman emperor of John's day was Domitian, uh, not not Titus, because Titus is already gone. So John was on the Isle of Patmos, uh, according to chapter one and verse nine. I, John, was also uh, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We'll look at that testimony as well. What that means later. So the eternal nature of the book is also here. So uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, right, the point is, is to point us to Christ. It, it was written in 91 to 96 A.D. The eternal nature of the book, um, this is not some cunningly devised fable, uh, but a book we must read and digest uh, in our age. And we are living in the days in which this prophecy uh, will come to, to, to uh, pass in, in short order. Um, not necessarily the day or the hour, but certainly the time and the season. So uh, this book was also given to show us things which must shortly come to pass. And uh, what is meant here is not shortly come in the, in the sense of time of John's writing, but come to pass in short order. It won't take long. The tribulation only lasts seven years, and the prophecies will be rapidly in succession. It will go quick. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, there also another, there's another aspect in which, the, in, in, in which we understand a day with the Lord. This is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So, therefore, the events seen in 90 A.D. are not far away, as far away as, you know, they would seem uh, to you or I, right? It's just a couple days away. And so there's also, you can look at it in that way, according to Second Peter 3.10 and Romans 16.20. All right, so there's a little bit about the history of Revelation. Uh, and then we have... Um, I like this has a little laser beam on it. I can put it right on Ron. He doesn't even know it. All right. So uh, the structure of Revelation. Uh, let's talk. Let's just see that real quick tonight. Uh, you'll see. Now, this is if you don't get this, I'll come back around to this. And uh, and so you have chapters one through three that are written to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Um, interesting. They've got a lot of action going on right there again today. 
at Revelation 4 through 6. That's where the door opens, the church is taken up. That's your first look. But really, in earnest, you don't see um, that because you're in heaven. And so, um, and then you have, uh, when you get to chapter 6, you really get, you really in earnest get to see your first look at the tribulation. But I'm just for ease of understanding, I, I left it 4 through 6. If you've, and I mention that because if you've seen other outlines where I don't start it until chapter 6, that's why. Uh, but for the ease of outlining, I started in 4 with the catching way of the church up through 6. But really chapters um, chapters 4 and 5 are dealing with things in heaven. And then you really get into the, the, the first view in chapter 6. But it's all semantics really. And then Revelation 7 is a parenthesis. Uh, some people lump it in with the first view and some people lump it in with the second. But um, the second look at the tribulation comes there in... Um, uh, and by the way, that parenthesis reveals 144,000 Jewish males that are sealed literally in their forehead. Um, and so then you have the, the second look there in chapters 8 through 11. And, uh, and so when you have the seven trumpets... So chapter 6 has the seven seals. Chapter, um, uh, chapter You'll see that in chapters 8 through 11, you have the seven trumpets. And then you get to chapter 12 through 14, and it's the third look, and you have the seven personages. And then you get to chapters 15 through 19 with the fourth look at the same tribulation. Like the, it's like the four Gospels, and you have the seven vials. And so, um, and some people put... And I've actually done that in the past, but for, uh, chapter 16 is the fourth look, but really it doesn't make any sense. It really needs to be 15 through 19. All right, and then the last thing that you see is is what's coming, millennium and eternity in Revelation chapter 20 uh, <clears throat> through 21. And so um, it should actually be chapter 22, but I don't know why. I, got, I, need to, I don't know why I have 21 there. 21 and 22 deal with the millennium. It's 22 on your – okay, it's not on my notes here, right? It's not right on up there either. I need to get that fixed. Okay, so it's right on your notes, not mine. So that's good. So if you're watching online, that is not right. The handout that you have is right, but that slide up there is not. All right, so the key uh, to understanding the thrust of Revelation – let's get that off there. All right, let's talk about that. The key to understanding the thrust of Revelation um, – the book points to the second coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on earth. Uh, which is also referred to as the second advent. Uh, if you've read, like, uh, Greg Axe likes to use that word advent. Advent just means coming. Um, just like the first advent is Christmas. We celebrate his first coming. Second advent is the second coming. And so, um, like, Jesus' first coming started when Jesus was born and extended through his ascension in Acts 1.8. The second coming begins when he returns to catch away the church in the clouds but culminates with his physical return to judge the nations of the earth and take authority of the kingdoms of this world and rule and reign for a thousand years. So most of the time when we say second coming or second advent, we're referring to the day that Jesus returns to establish his kingdom on earth, like Revelation 19. Or did I give you those references, Revelation 6, 12, and uh, Revelation 11, 15 through 19, and 14, 14 through 20, and 19, 11 through 21? If I didn't, you'll get them in the next point. So uh, we, we also use the phrase, the day of the Lord, and that phrase is found 27 times in Scripture, and they all are pointing to the second coming that occurs in a little literal 24-hour day and begins a thousand-year millennial reign. So when you take a, if you take the phrase, the day of the Lord, and you run it all the way through the Bible, you're going to find it come up uh, 20, 
uh, 20, I believe it's 27 times in 26 verses. So one verse it's mentioned twice. And so you can go check me out on that. All right. And so the second thing you see is the key uh, references to synchronize. Uh, I forgot to animate that properly. Synchronize your uh, your <coughs> um, passes through Revelation are found in the following passages. Revelation six twelve through 17 uh, which deals with that great day of the wrath that has come. You see that in Revelation six seventeen. So uh, if you, uh, how many of you saw Greg Axe teach on this many years ago at the Certainty Conference? By the way, it's been, I, I was telling Amy before we came out tonight, you know when the last time I taught this was? Anybody know? Yeah, that's right, seven years ago. I can't believe it's been 2017. I thought it was like yesterday. I was like, I got to teach this again? And I was, we were just talking about it in the kitchen. I was like, before I came out, I was like, I can't believe it's been seven years ago. Time just flies. I mean, if that was, that's, a, that's how long the tri- tribulation period is. I mean, it just goes by like that, you know, seven years ago, just like yesterday. Um, and so I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I was just talking about passing through. Um, and so it's probably been, I don't know, five years ago maybe or six years ago already. Uh, Greg Axe, myself, and Mark Trotter did a series. It's like the first, or, it was probably the second or third certainty conference out in Ohio, and uh, it was all on the end times. And Greg Axe did a great job of talking about, uh, uh, you know, when you take these passages. Uh, and I, did I put those in your notes? Yeah, here's the ones I'm talking about. So you can look at those. Those in your notes. You just have the key and the references. So. I'll get around to that in a minute, but those are so you can fill them in if you're writing notes. But so these are the these are four key passages that, that Greg Axe, you know, kind of used to uh, to help us. But he, he he likened it to four color printing. You know, you ever see all you know on your your labels and stuff? They'll have the little barcodes that have been printed, and you you got to line up the, the the colors, and then when everything lines up, they know it, you know it's time to print, and then it all prints out and it all comes out nice. I think I'm. Kind of, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's what he talked about. Anyway, it made sense. It, there's always those little X's on, or those little uh, plus marks on there. You know, they line all that up, and then and then when they print, all the color comes together like your little HP printer, and then boom, it comes out and looks beautiful. Uh, well, that's kind of how Revelation is. You, you line it up based off of the the theme of the Bible is the King, right, and His coming. Well, voila! When you take Revelation and line it up on the theme of the Bible which is the king and his coming, it kind of puts everything in order, which is not no surprise then. It lines up with those four passes that I was just talking about um, uh, as you go through uh, the book of Revelation. So uh, you'll see there in Revelation 6, uh, 12 through 17, which there's a lot more than that, but in verse 17 it talks about the great day of his wrath is come. In uh, 15 through 19 of chapter 11, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. In verse 15, uh, and uh, chapter 14 uh, talks about the Son of Man comes to tread the winepress of the wrath of God, which is very much what Revelation 19 talks about. Literally says the, the fierceness of the winepress of Almighty God. Of course, Jesus Christ returns there on a white horse with the name written, and uh, his name is the Word of God and the sharp two-edged sword, and, and it just it's all laid out for the force, takes us on into the marriage supper of the Lamb. So all of that. Uh, those four views help. Those are like keys, and it helps kind of orient you through uh, the whole of the book of Revelation. So that's good information to have. So um, 
Now, this is different views. This isn't the views like I was talking about, four passes like the Gospels, the four Gospels. But there's different views of Revelation as far as how you see it as you go through the book of Revelation. And this helps you, too, as you're reading it. And, I, by the way, you should be reading as we go through this study. Read through the book of Revelation. Read ahead. Read over it. Um, John is, is physically being transported uh, to the future to witness the thing. So he's literally on the Isle of Patmos. And then the next thing you know, he's he's goes through time and space, and he's at the Lord's day. I mean, whoa, how does that happen? Um, well, he's in heaven, and then he's on earth. And he's in heaven, he's on earth, and it just iterates back and forth. Um, you know, in heaven, there's blessings from God in Revelation 1 through 8. Then he's back on earth. He's in prison on Patmos in verse 9. You know, and then you go back into heaven, the glory of, uh, of Christ. And so uh, then on earth, the letters of the seven churches. In heaven, the Lamb of, on his throne. And, the, and then the, on earth, the seals are broken. And in heaven, the 144,000. Uh, and there's silence in heaven. And then there's the trumpet judgments that begin on earth. In heaven, the, there's a little book opened. And then on earth, two witnesses show up. And in heaven, there's worship and revelation. And on earth, Israel's persecuted. <clears throat> and in heaven, there's 144,000. Uh, in glory and angelic activity, and then on earth, uh, the seven vials and the two Babylons are destroyed, and uh, in heaven, the marriage of the Lamb uh, commences, and on earth, the final judgment, Revelation 19, and then the last are the judgments of the celestial city in Revelation 20 through 22, So, which uh, happens here on uh, in earth, kind of marries earth and heaven together, actually, uh, there at the end. But at any rate, you can see that there's kind of an alternating pattern between looking at what God's doing at the throne and then what's going on here at earth, on earth. One of the things that's interesting to me about that as well is, um, you know, the church, people think, well, you know, where's the church? Well, the church is in heaven uh, at this time, but it's not that we're just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. We're preparing to come back is what we're doing. Um, and so, um, anyway, moving on. The seven, the structure of Revelation, there's different Seven uh, sevens of Revelation. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's the last of the alternate. The seven sevens of Revelation. You guys have that in your notes, don't you? The last part of that. You didn't have that? Oh, I'm so, I thought you had that. Hmm. Well, I need to put these slides on. on uh, you guys want that? Take a picture. Oops. It's on the internet on a video. Yeah. Yeah, I do need to keep moving. So I was serious, though. If you want to take a photo, you could. I'll leave it there for a second. You can pop a photo. Okay. Then I'm moving on. Okay, so the seven sevens of Revelation. <clears throat> There's seven churches, and these I don't. These aren't all of them. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven personages, seven vials or bowls, uh, seven dooms, seven new things. Um so there's a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. Seven is also the number of completion. Uh, there's some. This is really important. Uh, <clears throat> before I get off of the sevens completely, though, let me back up. Um, uh, the sevens are a, a clean breakdown. There are even more series of sevens contained in Revelation to describe different things on earth or heaven. So I found no less than 18 series of sevens in the book of Revelation. Um, so seven in the Bible means perfection. Uh, and what a way to conclude your Bible. Perfect prophecy, perfect judgment, perfect peace. 
you can even break your whole Bible down like that, or, or definitely the book of Revelation. So seven is God's signature on prophecy. There are seven blesseds. Um, that's what I wanted to bring up. There are seven blesseds. Blessed is he that readeth, Revelation 1.3. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, Revelation 14.13. Blessed is he that watches for the Lord's coming, Revelation 16.15. Blessed are those bidden to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9. Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection, Revelation 20 and verse 6. Blessed is he that keeps the words of this book, Revelation 22, 7. And blessed are they that wash their robes, Revelation 22 and verse 14. Isn't that cool? I love that stuff. God's word is amazing. And so uh, let's talk about the accuracy. So we kind of talked about some of the structure of Revelation. And then we got the accuracy. So this prophecy was signified to John. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, the signs of Revelation are defined. Uh, the signs of, let me make sure I got, yeah, let me back up here. Okay. Um, the signs of Revelation are defined. The signs of Revelation are for tribulation Jews, by the way. Um, Christians get messed up on that all the time. The signs of Revelation are coming into focus or becoming much clearer as we see the day approaching. And this book is literal, not allegorical. Uh, so this book can, could and should be understood. Uh, some people say, oh, you can never understand the book of Revelation. Well, it can be and it should be. Um, so we should not be drunk on prophecy, but but much of Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, is, is just fresh as today's newspaper. So words can change uh, meanings over time, but the signs used to describe the truth of what is to come is easier to see and harder to believe. So a picture is worth a thousand words, and that is how... The book of Revelation is lined out. So John bore record of the word. It's his record in John's epistle that Jesus Christ is God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 19, 34, he says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And they saw it and bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth uh, that he saith uh, true that ye might believe. Right? So, um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John was used so that we, the book, the book of John is all about believing that Jesus Christ is God. And so uh, the testimony of, of uh, Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, <clears throat> the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you look over at, at Revelation 19.10, um, <clears throat> it's going to tell you that. So we'll look over at Revelation 19 and verse 10. This is an important truth of your bible revelation 19:10. the bible says here and i fell at his feet to worship him and he said unto me see thou do it not i am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have testimony of, that have the testimony of jesus worship god for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy meaning that when god promises something or prophesies something it's going to come true deuteronomy 18 he's not a false prophet deuteronomy 18 20 because a false prophet should die Jeremiah twenty eight sixteen says the prophet uh, deals with the prophet Hananiah uh, died just as Deuteronomy prophesied because he was a false prophet. Deuteronomy eighteen twenty says, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word of my name which I have not commanded him to speak or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. So God is bound to this. Uh, and Hananiah, uh, hear now Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest his people to trust a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I will cast thee. From off the face of the earth this year shalt thou die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year 
in the seventh month. So God takes prophecy seriously. And the spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, the testimony of Jesus Christ, I should say rather, is the spirit of prophecy. So this book is more sure than the audible voice of God. In Isaiah 42, um, I still am, I'm still not there. In Isaiah, there it is, 42, 9, the Bible says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and the new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you them. So God is fully able uh, to, to share with John <clears throat> things that must come to pass. <clears throat> and you guys are familiar with 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 16 that says that we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the, the uh, power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. We were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. That's Jesus, the Son of Righteousness. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it is accurate. Uh, it is an accurate rendition of uh, what God wants us to have. And last, not lastly, but almost lastly, and I'm almost done. Uh, blessed is he that you got to see this. I was just talking with Pam. She says there's some people that might be scared. There's no reason to be scared of this book. Uh, because in chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and that and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So there's a blessing to those that read. Uh, not everybody can read, but you, you can. Most of you in here can read. Blessed is he that hears. And not everybody has faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And blessed is he that keeps Right? Not everybody obeys God's word. That's really practical. So as we conclude tonight, you can walk away with that. And as we enter this book, if you've ever been raised in a church or an environment that says, well, you shouldn't study the book of Revelation. That's only for the priest class or it's, it's allegorical and you can never understand it. It says, Jesus Christ himself says, blessed is he that readeth and, he that, uh, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. There's a blessing. So one of the reasons I'm committed to going through, I was actually like, you know, I, I, I was saying, I just went through this. And then I realized, well, I guess seven years ago I just went through it. One of the reasons it's important that we keep doing this every seven years or so is just because there's a blessing. There's a blessing to the church that does this. Even if you've heard this before, it's good for me to go back over it and refresh and remember because these things are the book into the Bible. You know, my, sorry, I'm supposed to be done. My pastor uh, that sent our sending church, he said this, there, there'll be a test, uh, but I'm not going to make up the questions. God will. So you'll be tested on this, on whether you on whether you heard, whether you kept, right, and whether you read. I got them out of order. But reading, hearing, and keeping at the judgment seat of Christ will all be tested. How do we do? So let me, let me conclude with this. Of course, you guys got that. Readeth, hears, and keeps. The audience. Who are we talking to here? Well, the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. These are the seven churches you've probably, many of you heard of, of Revelation. And uh, we will talk about them. They were historical churches. Um, they were literal churches in John's day. Doctrinally, there are seven ages of church history the past 2,000 years prophetically. Seven literal congregations uh, of tribulation saints assembling after the rapture of the church. And so... 
Um, let me give you guys some uh, information about the teacher of Revelation. The Spirit of God is the teacher. Revelation 1-4, Isaiah 11-2, Revelation 5-6. So Isaiah 11-1 says this, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, uh, I'm sorry, let me restate that. And he shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. You know, just like Revelation 19 speaks to. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and, the, and his rest shall be glorious. So the Spirit of God, Revelation 1-4, uh, tells us, John, to the seven churches uh, which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which, is, uh, which, is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And so uh, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him, and we see that, uh, that he is the root of of Jesse. And so Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6 uh, the Bible says uh, and I behold and lo in the midst of the throne of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So the teacher of Revelation is the spirit of God itself uh, as well as the faithful and true witness. Uh, and so Revelation 1, or Revelation 1, 5 speaks to that. Revelation 19, 11 gives us his name. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True in righteousness, does he judge and make war. He's the only begotten from the dead. Uh, according to Revelation uh, 1 and verse 5, which we've already read, uh, Jesus is the only one to rise from the dead, reversing the curse and making it possible to have access into the Holy of Holies. And this is his revelation. It's not my revelation. It's not John's revelation. You know, a lot of those songs, John the Revelator. Really, it's Jesus' revelation. It's just given to John. And, of course, in that sense, it's, it's his revelation because he was faithful to, to get it written down. But he is, he, Jesus Christ is our Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, making it possible for us to hear and understand his holy words. And Lazarus was resurrected, but he died again. Only Jesus overcame death because he is the spotless Son of God. He's the, he is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. So now, Revelation 1, 6 says that we're priests and kings, and that will be that way forever and ever, and we come boldly before the throne of grace. And so to him belong glory and honor forever and ever, Jesus Christ, our high priest, our prophet, and our king. And so lastly, and I'm done, is the hope of Revelation. Uh, we will see him coming in the clouds, it says in verse 7. First Thessalonians 14, 13. As, uh, I was just at the graveside today reading this passage. As this man lay in state and his poor family's grieving, uh, they don't grieve as those without hope because he was born again. And the, and the word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, uh, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. <coughs> For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, 
by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, those that have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. <coughs> Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the church goes up and the church comes down in Revelation 19. That's a good way to divide up the book. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the church goes up. And you don't see the church again until you see the bride of Christ at the end. And so heaven opens up in Revelation 4, 1, and the church goes up. Heaven opens in Revelation 19, 11, and the church comes down. <clears throat> and clouds are associated uh, with his coming. And so um, that is why we know the, the times and the seasons. In, Revelation, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, it says, But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, because uh, we have more information than the apostles had to work with. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, they didn't know when the Lord was coming. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you know what? We know them because God gave us the Apostle Paul, and he gave us the rest of the New Testament. And he's given us the book of Revelation and the Spirit of God to teach us how to rightly divide the Word of God and how to assimilate the prophecies of Daniel, <coughs> the ministry of Jesus Christ in the four Gospels with the New Testament transition in Acts through the epistles of the New Testament coming into the transition back to the Hebrews in, in uh, Peter, James, and Jude, and First and Second and Third John, and Revelation, not in that order. Uh, Jude comes before Revelation, but you know what I mean. And, and then we come to the end uh, here in the Revelation, and we can put it all together because God has given us his spirit. And so, <coughs> excuse me, we have a lot of work to do, and that is just my introduction. So, uh, so come back next week and we'll pick it up in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. Thank you for coming tonight. Let's pray and get you out of here to pick up your children. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, remember and refresh ourselves over this incredible book of Revelation. Thank you for giving us the ability to, to learn it because you've given us the spirit of God to teach us all things whatsoever you said to us. And you have given us your word. You preserved your word. You've given us the spirit of God to teach us your word. But, Lord, we need to make sure that we not only read it, Lord, but we, we hear it and we keep it. Lord, I pray, God, that we would uh, be faithful to serve you like John was, a, a faithful servant who gave you, gave you his life all the days of his life from the ministry of Jesus until uh, he died on the Isle of uh, Patmos. Well, he didn't die on the Isle of, pa Isle of Patmos, but they tried to kill him and he wouldn't die. Lord, he lived, uh, uh, we believe, to be 96 plus years old. And uh, Lord, I praise you for uh, giving uh, us the revelation that you've given us on these last days that are coming. I pray, God, we'd be faithful to serve you, that we would be these faithful servants and that we would look to heaven as we are to set our affection on things above. Lord, help this series, help get our hearts fo focused on things above so that we can manage the things beneath and we'll be shortly joining you uh, in the clouds. Help us to be ready for your appearing. Help us to bring as many souls as we can in the process and be about your business until you come to catch us away. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.